0: righty, Matthew chapter 22 is where we find ourselves tonight going through the Gospel of Matthew. This chapter is an interesting chapter because Jesus is questioned and then Jesus asks a question. We know that we are in the last week or the passion of the Christ, of Jesus' life, last week of Jesus' life. and So just an interesting dynamic. I think of the Passover lambs being inspected and Jesus being inspected through all of these questions and he passes the inspection. Remember, if a lamb was going to be sacrificed, it had to be unblemished, right? No spots, no wrinkles. And we see Jesus pass the test. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So just an interesting little dynamic here. Matthew 22. It's good for us to learn that we unfortunately at times question God as well. We might not do it in this manner where our motive is like these religious leaders, where they want to trick Him or trap Him, but nonetheless, is it ever wise to question God? The immediate answer is no, because God knows what He's doing. God is perfect in what He does, even in what He allows. He is sovereign, meaning He rules and reigns. In this world, and so we do, we are challenged, I think, with life. And we are challenged at times with situations and circumstances. But I think from their example, let us learn not to question God. Let us walk by faith. And just so that you know, there's nobody that goes through life unscathed, there's nobody that goes through life without difficulties, without struggles, without challenges. All of us have them. And so we get to choose how we respond. Uh, One of the scriptures Joshua shared last night was, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, thorough, lacking nothing. And so God is doing something in the midst of our difficulty. God is purifying us again, as Joshua shared last night, Gold is refined in the fire. And the purity of that gold is seen when the smelter can see his image. Isn't that beautiful? When God sees his image in us, we're being purified. Oh, okay, I get it. So when God looks at us, and we're going through the trial, and he sees his image, there's purity being worked out in our lives.
1: Okay,
0: Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that you speak to us. Through it, we thank you, Lord, that we know you. We thank you that we have life in you. And I just pray that you would speak to us and teach us. And We're just a wonder to watch these answers that you give as you are trying to be tricked or trapped. And so we just pray that um, man, we can find comfort in your wisdom. And understanding, Lord, that if we fully understood you, then you wouldn't be big enough for us to worship you. And so there are things that we don't understand, and I pray that we would walk by faith and not by sight, trusting you and taking you at your word, and walking in obedience to what you call us to. So bless this time, Lord, as we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Matthew 22, this will be Jesus' last dialogue with the religious leaders. They have already rejected Him. This is, in a sense, His rejection of them as they show their motive, and we're going to see it through these questions and through the answers that Jesus gives and the responses that Jesus gives to them. Next chapter will be, He'll use the religious leaders as an example to His disciples of why they should not be like the religious leaders where he will call them religious hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, sepulchers, dead man's bones. On the outside they look polished, but inside they're dead. And so his harshest words will be reserved for Matthew chapter 23. But right now we're looking at Matthew 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son." and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And so this is bookmarked by that verse, for many are called and few are chosen, in last week's chapter 21. He had started with many are called and few are chosen. And so here's an example of the many called and few are chosen. Who are the many who are called? We can say for the most part, Jesus died for the sins of who? The world, right? For God so loved the world. There is a part of Christianity, I don't know where to get it, but there is a part of Christianity that teaches... That Jesus only died for the elect. He only died for those who would come to faith in him. The Bible doesn't teach that. First John chapter 2 and definitely John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. And so... The many who are called is the world. The many who are called is God calling the entire world to himself. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 is to convict the world of sin, right? To to uh, show them righteousness and judgment. But the few are chosen. The chosen are are the ones that will answer the call of the many. So here we see a parable basically given for the Pharisees. God would send them prophets. God would send them ministers. God would send them individuals that would be able to pro- proclaim the truth. What would they do? They'd beat them. They'd kill them. They'd get rid of them. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. They didn't want the truth. They wanted to believe lies. They wanted to do their own things. Isaiah would be one of those. How was Isaiah killed? Anybody know? Brian does. He taught Isaiah. How was Isaiah killed? two. He saw him oh, in half,
1: he right? He saw him in half? He saw him in half. Look uh, at Hebrews. He put in a log saw and saw in half. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that was the habit of these individuals, that nation of Israel, that God would send. And so finally it gets to the place where God invites, 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 invites. They want to be busy about their own business, right? They did business and they went to their own thing and they said, no, we don't want to go. And so... God says, all right, we're going to reject that crowd. We'll leave them alone. And we're going to go to the highways and invite the good and the bad. Who's he referring to? The Gentiles. The world. Those outside the the faith, if you will. So go and invite them all. Just bring them all in here. And whoever wants to come, they're welcome to come. And then he sees this guy and he doesn't have the right outfit on. And so this is a, a black tie affair or a white tie affair, whatever you would call it, right? And he was handing out the garments for people to be able to come to his wedding feast. And this guy wasn't wearing the right stuff. So what happens? He gets kicked out. He's not in. And all of that is for us just to understand that we can't enter into heaven by our own righteousness. We can't dress ourselves with what we need. We need that outfit that God has to give us. And what is that outfit? It's righteousness. It's God's righteousness. He puts it upon us. He gives us a robe of righteousness according to Isaiah. And that's what we have to be dressed in. His righteousness. So when we stand before God, I remember listening to a message Pastor Chuck Smith was sharing. And he was crying. And he said, one day I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And I thank God that I will will be wearing the righteousness of another. Because I will be accepted in that day. And just just the idea that Jesus gave him his righteousness. And Pastor Chuck was so happy, knowing that his filthy rags weren't going to make it into heaven. But Jesus' righteousness imputed to him was going to grant him entrance into heaven. I'll never forget that message. So many are called and few are chosen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they said to him, their disciples with the Herodians, saying, That's a strange combination, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Herodians were a group of Jews, but they had kind of partnered with Herod, who was Idomanian, Ido Idomia, wherever whatever however you call a person from Idomia, right? But Roman, if you will, as a citizen, and it's almost like a denouncement of of the nation of Israel to partner more with this political group, but Strange bedfellows here, Pharisees and the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Now what's that called? Flattery. An insincere compliment. Better to say nothing, right, than some fake, phony lie, as if Jesus isn't going to see through that. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So Jesus, if he sides with saying, yep, you pay taxes to Caesar, Caesar, then, you know, Israel can get mad, right? Or the nation of Israel, the Jews that are following after him, because Rome was this horrible, you know, burden over them. If he says no, then hey, maybe an insurrectionist, right? He's against the government. So they trapped Jesus. Finally, they asked him something so difficult. Oh, they backed him into a corner. No way can he get out of this. Oh, no. He's God. They they, they, they didn't count on that. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? On one side, it would have a picture of Caesar. On the other side, it would have the inscription of Rome. When they had heard, um, I'm sorry, um, they said to him, Caesar's is the inscription, right? The image. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So the Herodians, the Pharisees, they're like, oh, got us again. And they leave and they bounce. Now, one thing we hear about rendering to Caesar the things that are to Caesar's, we're dual citizens. We live on earth. We live specifically in America. And we have laws and, and, and guidelines and people to honor and people to show um, respect to. And so that's very important. So, so we, we do have to pay taxes. Had he said another answer, then maybe we can get away from, from it, right? But we do have to pay taxes. And I've heard of Christians who, you know, no, I'm not going to pay taxes. To, you know, Well, Jesus said it right here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But, I like what he says, and to God, the things that are God. What does he mean by that? Image and inscription. Whose image are you made in? God. What do you render to God? Everything. Because you're made in his image. Right? So I like that. Verse 23, the same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him. So the Sadducees would be the liberal branch of the religious leaders. They only believed in the first five books of Moses. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay? And my pastor's joke would always be, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection or something like that. The angels,
1: like they didn't know
0: in angels either. angels either. Nothing of that miraculous nature. they kind of like the liberal theologians of our time. So, they're not even really Christians, but they hold that mantle. So these guys come to him and they ask him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. This is called the Leverite marriage, from the Latin word lever or something like that, the Latin word. And it means brother-in-law, of all things. So that's what that is. I always thought the Levite marriage was because it's in the book of Leviticus. The Levite-ish you know, law. No, the Levite law is what it is. And so, um, they say, Teacher Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were uh, with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married uh, and had no offspring, left his wife to his brother Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, oh, we really got Jesus, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And they just think again, we dropped, we got him. This is such a stupid law. Why would they even have that law? There is no resurrection. And Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures, to things, nor the power of God. Notice, they don't know. Did they know the scriptures? They knew the scriptures back and forth. They didn't know what the scriptures meant. There are people who can quote you Bible, but yet, mm, do they know the Bible? I think it's more important that we know that God, the author of the Bible, than we know the Bible. I think Bible memorization is awesome. And I think Bible memorization is going to help you in your walk. It's going to help you in your prayer life. It's going to help you in witnessing and sharing with others. But you got to know the author of the Bible, right? It's not just knowing information. So these guys know their Bible, but Jesus says they don't know their Bible. You don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. Verse 30, for in the resurrection, notice first he confirms there is a resurrection. For in the resurrection that you guys don't believe in, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of God in heaven. Now what that means exactly, that's a tough one. Okay? And I don't really know exactly the implications of all of that. But he goes on, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So he says, He did say, I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am currently right now. Abraham's alive, Isaac's alive, Jacob's alive. But wait, they died. How are they alive? The resurrection. He is the God of the living. He's the living God of the living. And when the, the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So again, he confounds them. He blows them out of the water. He blows them away. Now, as it relates to, we are not like, um, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor married, but like the angels in heaven. Um, There are relationships in heaven. We know people in heaven that had a relationship on earth, and that relationship continued in heaven. So exactly what that means, I, I don't know exactly, but there are relationships in heaven. Now, maybe there's no reproduction in heaven. So, you know, maybe maybe that's what it's a reference to. I can't say exactly. But as far as being like the angels, we're eternal. The angels are eternal. Um, all the angels in the Bible are listed as male. So I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know exactly what this impetus is. Anybody ever heard anything on this? That we are like the angels in heaven? Interesting. I read a lot of stuff, but I wasn't convinced either way. I
1: would just think <coughs> that the angels are stronger than the female angels. Okay. I
0: don't know where you'd get that, but okay. If
1: they're all men, uh-huh. I think it's just like, not past the angels. Yeah, we're not going to be angels. Yeah. no, we're no. We're going to be angels. The angels, angels are a different creatures. Because they didn't take into marriage when they were they were not supposed to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it's referring to. Um,
0: we do have uh, two references in the scriptures that angels yeah. had sex with people. They weren't supposed to do that. Genesis six and Jude versus whatever two verses in Jude. Again, there's interesting dynamic there. We will be married in heaven because we have a bride of Christ. Yes. That's very important. So there will be perfect marriage in heaven. And that's beautiful. But, whatever. I don't know exactly what the implications of that are. But Jesus is the point of Jesus speaking to the Sadducees. He's letting them know there is a resurrection. And God is the the God who's alive of the living. That's very important. God's alive alive and his children are alive in heaven. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making. So let's not move away from the point. Whatever that other thing is, it's a secondary, God bless you, God bless issue. You, Verse 34, but when the Pharisees, oh, here come the Pharisees again, I thought we got rid of them. Okay. <laughs> but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, so no, we can't be outdone, we can get them this time. Then one of them, a lawyer, oh, a lawyer, Asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, I don't know if this lawyer, the scribe, this Pharisee is asking for the purpose of the Ten Commandments, which one's the greatest? Or of all 613 commandments, which one's the greatest? And so maybe he's, you know, just asking Jesus to narrow it down. I really got it now. There's so many commandments. Jesus, like, oh my gosh, it's so, again, dumb. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus doesn't even go to the Ten Commandments, does he? He goes to the book of Deuteronomy. And by the way, the Sadducees who only believe in the um, first five books of Moses, Jesus quotes from the first five books of Moses to give them an answer. I'll even go to you with what you only believe in. I got the whole 39 books of the Old Testament. I'm not going to use them. I'm going to use just the first five books to give you an answer.
1: What about in Exodus where God parks the seas for Moses? If they don't believe in miracles, how do they? It's all
0: symbolic. Them? It's all it's all just pictures and and kind of uh, rom- uh, uh, not romantic poetic language, similes and metaphors, types and typology. Wow. No, there's people today that don't believe in miracles. That's Life crazy. is a miracle. Your eyeballs a miracle. I mean, there's so many things around that just, how your body coagulates when it's cut and the blood hits the air and it starts to just dry so you won't bleed out. I
1: think all of our testimonies are there. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody come to Jesus,
0: okay? So he quotes out of Deuteronomy on this one and he goes to the Shema, right? The prayer that the Jew would pray every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus, in Luke's gospel, I think, adds mind, another aspect of the soul. Um, So, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice there is an order here. There's a first and a second. You can't love your neighbor as yourself until you love God with everything you have. Um, An interesting dynamic in a great prayer would be none of us in our own strength can love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, can we? None of us. But that's a prayer that we can say, God, will you help me love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength? And that's a prayer. You watch what God does with that. That's an awesome prayer for us to pray. And then he says, um, This is the first great commandment. The second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's all 613, whether it's the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, everything hangs on those two. Love God, love people. Horizontal, vertical. Vertical, horizontal, right? forms a cross while the Pharisees were gathered together Jesus asked them so this is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back this is the final nail in the coffin Jesus asked them saying what do you think about the Christ whose son is he the Pharisees of course are going to know the answer to this they said to him the son of David he said to them how then Does David in the spirit call him Lord saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? How can he be his descendant and his father? How can he come before him and come after him? That's what Jesus is asking, right? They're clueless. They know that he's the son of David. They know that he would come through the lineage of David. The Messiah is standing right in front of him. He is God Almighty standing right in front of them. They know the Messiah is coming through the line of David, but this other thing probably never even gave thought to. And so Jesus quotes them a scripture out of... Is Anybody ever know their Bible? Is that Psalm 22 or Psalm... 110. So 110 is the most quoted, I think, Messianic psalm. And no one, uh, if David calls him Lord, how is he the Son of God? Verse 48 or 6? 46. And no one was able to answer him a word. Not from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. They can't answer it. They didn't know that, that God would come into the world and be born of a virgin or be born, that it was quoted in Isaiah, but just putting the pieces together. Anything that we are able to see, I think what Angel was saying about what Jeff shared with her, um, that all things are to be able to be pointed to God and give thanks to God for everything that has taken place, if we believe the truth, that is because God has revealed it to us. If we're able to have our eyes open to reality, that is because God's done something supernaturally And we shouldn't take that for granted. If we have an understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who has forgiven us of our sins, and we have faith in that, and we've come to know that, that was revealed to us by who? God. We didn't figure that out. That's a supernatural thing. And that's something for us to be blown away with. So, the many who are called and the few who are chosen, I don't know how that's done exactly. God picks the winners. Based on his foreknowledge, God picks those who's going to pick him. I like the idea of that predestination, that, that door, you know, that lets you kind of, you walk into heaven and you see, come one, come all, and then you walk into heaven, you turn around and on the back it says, chosen before the foundations of the world. And so it's just, how do we make sense of it? I don't think we do, and I don't think we have to. But if your eyes have been opened to the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you've received that into your heart as a gift, that's a God thing. Because only God reveals that. And so, these guys' heart was so hard that they were the enemies of God, and they thought they were representing God. How can we, in this hard world, stay pliable? I think we have to admit that we don't have all things figured out, and that we need God. And that we need to be desperate for God. And that we need to obey the things that we do understand so that God can enlighten us more. Questions, comments, concerns. How do we question God today? Like they questioned him back there. How do we question God today? Because we all do it. Circumstances. Circumstances, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, when you think something's not fair, or why God, why, why is this happening?
0: Or is okay. You know what I mean? So when you go through a difficulty or yeah. something, or an injustice that we think, see something looks not fair, we wonder, God, why, why would you let that happen? Because yeah. we know God can intervene. We know God can change things, right? So why didn't He? Huh? Maybe. He didn't do it because we're going through a change?
1: Yeah, if God's trying to redirect you, uh-huh, you know, and you're saying, Why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you intervening? Well, maybe you're being redirected.
0: Okay, okay. So as it relates to storms, there's storms of protection, storms of correction, and storms of direction. Okay, I gotcha. Makes sense. Anybody else? How do we question God? Questioning, Questioning grace. his grace. Questioning his grace? How do we do that? don't get how big Okay. Well, that's a good questioning, isn't it? Like, Lord, how do you do that? You're so gracious. I don't believe it. That's a good questioning. Okay. You should never expect grace because it's unmerited, undeserved, and unearned. You should expect justice. And when you get grace, you should be blown away every time. And if you're not blown away, you're wrong. Expect justice. Expect what you deserve. Because when you get anything else, it's God's favor. And God wants to be thanked. God wants to be have us to have hearts of gratitude. <laughs> One thing I've ever questioned, God. That's good. Things the things
1: that
0: happen
1: are things of the world. And cancer and sickness and uh, wealth that are not well I think those are things that um, that humans have done mm-hmm. not God God loves us Amen
0: So is there a difference in questioning and doubting? Questioning and doubting? I think the questioning that I'm referring to is probably a doubting right? It's a, it's a kind of that doubt where you wonder, oh, wondering, questioning, doubting why this or why not that. Yeah, I think.
1: But I think that the so, answer to that is when we go through all these trials and tribulations is that God is forming us to come to the other side and praise and worship Him more because... We went through that, you know, because we're growing each time. Uh, situations happening. I mean, even you know, with the death of Bo, of course, I was shocked. And today, I'm just blessed that I I knew him. I'm blessed that I found him. I'm blessed that that God knew him as a a, a, a godly man and that a leader and. You know, so I I
0: don't question the Lord why he did it. Bo's work on earth was done. And I think also in the midst of that, you know, again, Joshua's study last night was um, God is preparing us for what he has prepared for us and we're being molded and shaped in the image of his son. But I think also it helps in relating to other people who are going through similar things, Second Corinthians chapter one. We're able to comfort those with the comfort with which we've received. Right. And so when we receive that comfort from God and then somebody goes through something in in, in similarity, you know, then we can say, wait, 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 I know how you feel. I felt the same. Yeah. And there is a genuine and you can tell when people are genuine, like, you know, somebody will lose somebody a loved one and then you know somebody lost their pet lizard and then they want to relate you know i, I just lost you know this person i love more in the world and and then they say well i know no 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 your lizard's not you know yeah, the I know same i oh. yeah yeah i mean i know you probably really dug your lizard but no we can't <laughs> compare that and so so be careful when yeah. like, we do that because like, that could be insensitive
1: our experiences are to help others We go through things, in my opinion, to, we're going to meet somebody that, along the line, Hmm? to help others. Possibly.
0: It may just be for you. Remember, God's very intent on a personal relationship. And the greatest thing in this world is you and your God. Nothing greater than that. Nothing greater than that. You and your God. And the intimacy that we can have with the Creator of the universe. Most of what we experience should be unspoken because we have an intimate, private relationship. Just like a husband and a wife. Most of what takes place in their bedroom, whether it's conversation or other, they don't talk about that to anybody, right? That's private, intimate, and it's between them two. The same exact thing with our intimate, private, personal relationship with God. He knows me, He knows how I tick, He knows my weaknesses. He knows the things that will bring me joy. And He knows how to relate to me and minister to me in ways that are so private, personal, touching, that most of my relationship with Him, that's between me and Him. I can use some of those things to bless others. I can use some of those lessons that He taught me to comfort others and do those types of things. But most of what we experience with God should be bedroom stuff. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the intimate relationship that we can have with you, Lord. No greater opportunity for intimacy on this earth. And so thank you so much that we can walk and talk with the creator of the universe. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, we do question. We do doubt. We do wonder at times. And so help us in that, Lord. Um, As it was prayed... We believe, but help our unbelief. And so in those moments, Lord, when maybe in a moment of temptation or weakness, we doubt or begin to wonder, Father, I pray that we would run to you. I pray that we would call upon you, cry out to you. Lord, we know that you have big shoulders you can handle uh, just uh, when we struggle. And so I just pray, Father, that we can find uh, just all that we need in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.